some disappointment in the crowd. Cut them off. All right, Psalm 121 tonight. Uh, does anyone else need a handout that wants one? All good? All right. Psalm 121. And uh, it's only on one side of your paper tonight. It's been a while since we've had that. If I don't make it to the end, uh, then I, it's, the problem is with me. You, you might be thinking, you know, I've gotten really familiar with the first half of all of these psalms this week. Because I feel like I get to the second half and I look up and I'm like, oh, we've got five minutes left. And then, you know, I just kind of run through them real quick. Um, Hopefully, we'll be able to dig deeply into this entire psalm, but we all know what's going to happen, right? We're going to all rush at the end, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, eight verses, Psalm 121. Um, let me just give a, a brief introduction about this category of psalms. Um, you see there at the top, that's a song of ascents. Perhaps uh, in your Bible, it says song of degrees. Uh, does anyone know? What the song of the songs of ascents were, Linda? They are the songs that they sang going up to Jerusalem mm -hmm. for the very various festivals, I think. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So Psalm 100. The first one is Psalm 120. So we're in the second Psalm of ascents, and uh, it goes from Psalm 120 all the way through Psalm 134. So 15 psalms are categorized as the psalms of ascents, and they're all, most of them are relatively short. And, uh, and they all were, served the purpose of songs that pilgrims would sing together as they would journey, they would uh, do their pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, for the feast days, worshiping there at the temple. And uh, if you read through these psalms, you see a lot of pilgrimage imagery. You see, you'll see that even in our psalm today. Um, and, uh, and so keep that image in mind, that purpose in mind as we go through this psalm. Uh, envision uh, pilgrims that are journeying up to Jerusalem. The reason why its phrase is journeying up to Jerusalem is Jerusalem was elevated. And so no matter where you were coming, north, south, east, or west, you were traveling up, meaning you were, you were kind of climbing a little bit. Um, and uh, these are the songs that they would sing together as pilgrims as they journeyed. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read Psalm 121 together. Lord, give us uh, clarity and wisdom as we look in your word. I pray that the truths that you have for us would take deep root in our hearts, uh, that we would see you for who you are, and we would praise you because of who you are, uh, and that we'd walk away changed because of it. We thank you for this time that we can study your word together. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 121. Let's dig in. Verse 1. I lift my, up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. See, told you it was short. Um, what did you observe as we read through that? Anything that stuck out to you that you, that you noticed or appreciated from Psalm 121? Kurt. The, uh, that phrase, your shade on your right hand, mm -hmm. is uh, in order to 
to your right, your watch is with Yeah, interesting. And we see that phrase, you know, that, that idea in scripture, right? You're, you're, at, you're at my right hand, and so therefore I shall not be moved. Good. Anything else that you noticed? Yeah. The other body part is the left foot. So you got a diagonal across your body. There. <laughs> yeah. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Rebecca. So Rebecca made the observation that she saw a repeated idea, a repeated word in here, and that is the idea of keeping. Uh, let's, let's note those. Verse 3, he who keeps, he who keeps, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep. You're going out and you're coming in. Okay, so that's obviously a big deal in this psalm. Um, it's a theme about who God is and what he does. Uh, he is our keeper. He's our protector. Is exactly what that is referring to. Good. Anything else? Mike? It's all positive. It's all positive. Yeah. We don't always get to read an all positive psalm, do we? Um, I mean, it's not 100% positive because the first verse kind of alludes to some concern, right? But it's definitely this whole picture of trust and confidence. Good. Stephanie? I like the fact that, that when it says he doesn't slumber or sleep, he's mm -hmm. always watching and always keeping. Yes. Verses 3 and 4. He is always alert, always watching, neither slumbers nor sleeps. In fact, when I was reading verses 3 through 4, um, even the current events of today kept running through my mind um, that, uh, that God neither slumbers nor sleeps, and uh, just as, as evil never sleeps, neither does God, and God is in control. Um, anything else? Rebecca? That means we can, absolutely. You have both made me lie down and sleep in peace. Um, because God never sleeps, we can. That's a great thought. Well, good. Well, let's, let's, let's again dig into this psalm um, and consider what it has for us. Uh, I want to just point out a couple of general observations from the psalm that I thought was interesting. The first one, uh, Rebecca already pointed out for us the idea that God is our keeper. He is watching over us. He is protecting us. So if you were to draw out what is the attribute of God that we see in Psalm 121, it's obvious. It's clear. He is our protector. He is our keeper. I want you to notice one other interesting thing about this psalm. Notice the... Uh, the person, so first person, second person, third person, right? It changes. Look in verses uh, 1 and 2. What person is that written in? First person. first person, right? So we have I, my, my, my. Okay, what about the rest of the, where does it shift to in verses 3 through the end of the chapter? Well, there is third, he, but... As far as who is being spoken to, it's, it's second person, isn't it? Do you see that? The Lord is your keeper, your shade, your right hand. So what's going on here? It starts off with the, the writer saying, I need help, God is my help. And then the rest of the psalm says, God is your help, God will be there for you. What's happening in that shift? Is that signifying anything? Yeah. I look to God. And you know why? Because he will keep your foot from being moved. And he will okay. 
So in other words, you're saying verses 3 through 8 is a teaching that the writer is giving based off of what he believes. Okay, that's a good, that's a good thought. Um, some people might say, well, sometimes the psalmists will speak to themselves, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, why are you cast down, O oh my soul, right? Um, but often when that happens, there's usually some indicator like, O oh my soul, uh, to say that he's speaking to himself. One interesting idea that I came across that I find intriguing, similar to what Lori said, is remember the setting for this song, okay? It's a group of pilgrims singing together while they're traveling, all right? So let's put yourself there. Let's say we're all a group of pilgrims and we're traveling to Jerusalem and one of you starts belting out Psalm 121, right? And the first two verses are you testifying, right? To, uh, to God, who he is, and where my help comes from. And then the, the second half is other people speaking to you. That they are, in a, in, in a sense, encouraging you and instructing you. It isn't exactly what we find in Ephesians 5.19, where it says that we address one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, to the Lord in your heart. So what's the, one of the functions of singing and worship? Not only to profess who God is and, and rejoice in that, but for others to exhort you and encourage you. And so when I read this psalm, what I envision is a, is a pilgrim traveling and he's crying, he's, I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? And then, and then the choir, the fellow pilgrims join in and they, they reassure him and they say, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps either Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so you get your help from the Lord and then you have the encouragement from your fellow believers, your fellow pilgrims who, who, who cry out and, and, and testify to the faithfulness of God. So it's a cool picture there. Ashley. Yeah. The other traveling by foot, yes. or by an animal. Yeah. Really, depending where they're coming from, it's a long ways away to get to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So they probably need to encourage one another. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you're going to see a lot of imagery in this psalm that you can almost picture a pilgrim going down a difficult path and needing God's protection and encouragement with each other along the way. Some of those, even on the first line, I lift up my eyes to the hills, right? You can picture the pilgrim walking toward Jerusalem and there's, there's hills, there's mountains, there's cliffs all around. Um, you see verse three, he will not let your foot be moved. You, your foot slip, right? You're traveling by foot. There's a lot of opportunity to slip and lose your footing. And so there's that picture there. Uh, even the sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. The God, God will be your shade on your right hand. So. I'm sure the pilgrims, you know, the, the sun's beating down on their heads and, and envisioning God as their shade. And so, yeah, Ashley, Ashley makes a good point. A lot of these pilgrims are traveling a long, long way. How did, they, how did they stay encouraged and stay focused on the Lord? They sang, right? They sang to each other um, along, along the way. And so, I wouldn't be surprised if this, is, if this psalm was, was a responsive one, a responsive song that they were singing to each other. This psalm points to the blessing of being encouraged and exhorted by other Christians who remind us about who God is. So let's look in verses 1 and 2. This is the portion where the psalmist is speaking in the first person. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? In these first two verses, we see two components to it. First of all, we see 
concern in verse 1, followed by confidence in verse 2. We see that he needs help. Where does my help come from? We don't know what the trouble is. All we know is he's looking for help. And as he scans the hills and the horizons around him, he asks the question, from where does my help come? So is he looking inward for his help? No, he's not, right? Self-help will not cut it in this situation. He needs help outside of himself. And so, again, he scans the horizon, he looks up at the hills, the mountains, and he asks, where's my help going to come from? So he's looking around, where's it going to come from? Who will help? Maybe you found yourself in, a, in, in verse 1 before, right? Where you need help, you're struggling, and you just, you're, you're scanning around, looking. Where, I need help, where in the world is it going to come from? I, I can't see it. I lift my eyes to the hills. But then verse 2 turns into confidence. So the question is asked in the end of verse 1, from where does my help come from? Answer, my help comes from the Lord. <laughs> you know, sometimes I can, just, I can just plow through, you know, cell phones ringing. I was not ready for a laugh track. I really wasn't. Or a, or, or a cat meow and dog bark. I, that's a new one. Thank you, Susan. That was... That was <laughs> We should incorporate laugh tracks. I like that. <laughs> All right. So verse 2, confidence. He answers his own question, right? My help comes from Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant name. Implied, my help only comes from Yahweh. He is the only one who can help. And what attribute of God does he point to as the source of his confidence? He is the creator. He is the creator. Stay, Susan. It's a good addition. I like it. All right. So, he is the creator who made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. Now, this is a phrase, if you want to a fun technical term, a merism. Anyone know what a merism is? Just out of curiosity. This is a, this is a term that takes two contrasting words to com communicate a completeness or a totality. So think of high and low. I searched high and low. What are you saying there? I searched everywhere, right? So he made heaven and earth. What's he saying there? He made everything. God is the creator of all. Why, what's that? A merism, right here, if you can read my handwriting. There it is, I'll zoom in nice and close there. Merism, all right. This is an R, okay. There we go, is that better? Okay, all right. So why is this a comfort? Why does he point to the fact that God is creator? How does that give us confidence that our help comes from God? The ultimate authority. The ultimate authority. Why is he the ultimate authority? 
Because he's the maker of everything. Good, yes. Um, I also believe that he was walking by faith and not by sight. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Because he realized that if he puts his trust in God, whatever it is, God is going to take him. That's exactly right. And we'll see that all throughout this song. He was walking by faith and not by sight. Um, and you even see that. Verse 1, I'm lifting my eyes to the hills. Right There's the sight, right? Is he going to find any help? No, he's not. He's, he's, he's walking by faith. He, see, he, he looks to the Lord uh, who made heaven and earth. God is the creator God. He has the ultimate authority, as Tom pointed out. In other words, what God created He controls. Can God create anything that's out of his control? No, he's not going to do that. He made the hills around you. He made the path that you're walking. He made the sun that's shining down on you. If God is creator of all, who else would I depend on for help? Why would I look toward his creation for help when I have a relationship with the creator of all things? What God created, he controls. Now, you might argue, though, God being the creator of all and having complete control, that's not enough for me to have confidence that he'll actually help. Can we make that argument? If that's the extent of it, God created everything. Is that enough to have complete confidence that he will help me? No. What else would we need to know about God? He loves us. Rick? Good. So he actually has to have a care, right? Um, yeah. Okay. So looking at his track record, right? Seeing his work in the past. What's that? Knowing his will for us, and, and knowing that that's a good will for us. Yeah. He doesn't lie. Good. Yeah. So, have you heard of the term deism? Right. What's a deist? Right, right. So a guy, God created everything and then stepped back and let people do their thing, right? He's a passive God. You're on your own. I made it. I set it up. I, you know, I, I put all the mechanisms in place for this world to spin around and, and, and do its thing. And I'm going to step back, let people do their thing. Um, if that's, if, if all we're saying is God is the creator of all things, um, we could very easily say, okay, I, you know, a deist could say that as well. Um, and so, this isn't in and of itself enough for me to have complete confidence that God cares enough, loves me enough, has a plan for me, uh, a will for me, that I can be confident that my help comes from Him. Okay? We could say, I know that my help, He's the only one who can help me, but it's another question to say, will He help me? Right? And I, in fact, that's the frustrating thing, is oftentimes we feel, God, I know you're able to help, but will you help? Why haven't I seen you help? Right? And so, what do we need to know about God? We need to know that he's loving. We need to know that he's attentive. We need to know that he's protective over us. We need to know that he's involved in our lives. We need to know that he is close by. And so in verse 3, where we see that shift from the first person to the second person, we see these exact attributes highlighted. That he's not just the creator God, he is the creator God, and he has control over all things, but it's far more than that. And so here's this, in this portion of the psalm where 
possibly a fellow pilgrim is encouraging another about who God is and what he will do. Uh, just a side note, you know, are, are you that kind of friend? Are you, are you the kind of friend that reminds your fellow believer, your brother or sister in Christ, this is who God is, and, and he will not let your foot be moved. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. Are you speaking those encouraging truths into the lives of your friends? So we've learned that God is our only source of help, but what kind of help is he offering here? What kind of help is he offering here, based off of what we see in verses 3 through 8? In the word that gets repeated over and over again. He's our keeper. Okay, so the type of help that he offers in this passage is protection. Um, why make that distinction? Well, what are some other ways that God could help? Uh, he could deliver, rescue. Why, aren't, why isn't he talking about deliverance or rescue here? He's talking about protection, but why does he not want deliverance in his situation? Because he's protecting before you get harmed. Yes, but remember the setting. Where, where are they and what are they doing? Right, so they're traveling to Jerusalem. They're where they need to be. They are traveling toward Jerusalem to worship. They're not asking for deliverance from that. They're on the path, right? They're on the right path toward Jerusalem where God wants them to be going. And so they're not asking to be delivered. They're asking for protection on the journey. In other words, he's not asked to be, and what does that path look like? It's valleys, treacherous roads, sun, bandits along the side of the road. So he's not asked to be plucked out of the valley. He's not asked to be removed from the difficult road. He's asking God to watch over him and keep him while he's in the valley. He's, he's traveling to Jerusalem. And since he's traveling to Jerusalem, then the valley is exactly where he needs to be because he's on the right path. He is going toward Jerusalem. And so he's not asking for deliverance. And that's sometimes when we look at verse 1 and 2, that's often what we're asking. Lord, deliver me. Get me out of this. But perhaps, depending on your situation, you think, you know, I am, I am seeking to follow the Lord. I am seeking to, to follow his path. And right now, God has me in a difficult portion of that road. And so rather than ask, say, Lord, pluck me out of this road, I need to ask, Lord, keep me, protect me, guard me. Pastor. Yes. I kept thinking when we were going through this in the beginning, I kept thinking, I wanted to say, I can see this guy looking up the hills and checking out to see if there's any evil, mm -hmm. either animal or human there, and he goes into this song, mm -hmm. and of course they pick it up and they continue to see. I, oh, yeah. I my mind, my mind yes. I can just see this guy scanning around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't really find yourself right there in the scenario, in the, in the situation. Um, you know, when we're on the wrong path, that's often when we cry out for deliverance, right? And God graciously does deliver us when we're on the wrong path. But when we're on the path of faith and obedience, following the Lord, we cry out for protection. We know that the pilgrim journey is going to get dangerous. We just need a God who is going to help us through the journey. So, what kind of God is he? Verse 3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be late. I know I am. I'm in verse 3, and it's already quarter till. <laughs> Mike. It's not just part-time 
protection either. Yeah. It's 24 hours, he's not sleeping, he's not taking a break. Yep. It's around the clock, isn't it? He's very alert. And, and, and so look at this. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. This is the idea of, of, of slip. We see similar language actually in the psalm that we looked at a while back, Psalm 94, verse 18, where the psalmist says, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. And I'm sure as a pilgrim traveling, your foot slipping on a rock, on muddy ground, is a common occurrence. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let you slip. God is attentive and God is involved. So he's not a distant God. He's not a uh, uninterested God. We see his involvement in the first line of verse 3, and we see his attentiveness in the second line of verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. We need a God who is awake, who is watching. You know, even the most watchful person needs rest, but not God. Yes, ma'am. That's right. You know, so therefore, he is going to be there to protect you either way because he creates you. He knew everything about you. Yeah, before we were ever born. He, 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 he knew everything. Psalm 139, which we'll get to. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be a good one. Um, so we need a God who is awake. God's eyes are open day and night. We need a God who's not only awake, but alert. He's watching every single step. You see the alertness here? How, how long do you have to divert your attention um, for just one foot to slip? Right? It's just a, a moment. Right? It can just be a split second. Right? I could be walking along with my kids and check my phone for two seconds and Benji has automatically found a mud puddle, you know, <laughs> 20 yards that way, right? It does not take long. God is always alert. He, will, he is watching every single step. That's what, I, that's what I think of when I think of this right here. That God is watching every single step you take and he never gets tired. As you journey in obedience, he will give you solid ground. And then verse four, I mean, verse four is kind of like a repeat of verse 3, beginning with this word, behold. This means, like, indeed. So what's he trying to say here in verse 4? What's he trying to get the reader to do? Believe. Yeah, believe, pay attention. Like, did you get that? Right, you read verse 3, and then the, the writer's like, now did you hear what you just sung? Behold, listen, indeed. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber, and then he does a poetic thing here where he adds a synonymous word. It means the same thing. He adds it onto it just to give you added emphasis, right? In other words, you know, he doesn't fade out, fade off, or take a, take a snooze, right? That idea. You take two same ideas, combine them together to, to co communicate that God is not going to rest, and he doesn't need to rest. 
So verse 4 is calling us to stop and think about this truth more. Why do we need to stop and think about this truth more? Because we don't always believe this truth. The psalmists find themselves in this multiple times in the book. God, where are you? Why are you so distant? And we feel that. And so that's why verse 4, it says, Indeed, behold, stop, listen, think about this again, because this is true. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. This is really true. God is the keeper of Israel. Which is very comforting today. Which is very comforting today. What a pertinent verse for this exact moment. He's the keeper of Israel. You're reminding them that they are his people. Very good. All right. So, so um, Linda points out that these are Israelites, right? So he who keeps Israel. So the pilgrim should connect the dots. He keeps Israel. I'm one of his people. And so if he keeps Israel... He'll keep me. Thoughts, questions before we move on to verse 5. Justin. So are we to then take that because it's talking about Israel, but it's only talking about the nation, or does this also apply to individual people? Because it goes back and forth yeah. from me, right. private entity, yes. to Israel, corporate entity. So that shift back and forth between corporate, it's almost like a chant that mm-hmm. it's for me and it's for us. Yes. For me, it's for us. It's almost that back and forth again. Yeah. It is. It is a back and forth. But Israel is a people, a group of people, right? And in fact, if there's any doubt in anyone's mind reading this, uh, singing this song on a pilgrim journey, is it just, is it the group or am I involved? Well, look in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper, right? And so it's almost like it zooms in. In fact, Check this out. We see, first of all, God being described as the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's the big picture. Right? He controls everything. But then it kind of zooms in to Israel. He keeps Israel. And then the microscope zooms in even more to you. God is attentive. He's involved. I saw another hand, I think. Yeah, Rebecca. Before we get too far, um, in verse 3 where it says, um, you won't let your foot be moved or slip, do you take that as a literal, like, foot off the path, or he won't let us be moved off the path by, like, temptation? Right. I, I, think, I think they're taking the imagery of their pilgrim journey, right? I'm sure that they weren't, they weren't taking this in a wooden sense that God's not going to let my foot to to trip on a, on a rock as I'm walking, right? Um, I, I think it's saying, it's communicating based off of what they're doing. They're going on a journey, they're walking, there are treacherous paths. They do know the experience of slipping and, and losing their balance, but they know that God's going to keep them stable and on, on the right path. And, and I think the point of this is not only to encourage them on their journey that they're on in that moment, but also to encourage people of faith as they, as they journey, that God is going to give them the stability and the strength to continue forward. I think so, yeah, yeah. It's, remember, this is poetry, right? Yes, ma'am. So like stepping out in faith. Mm-hmm. Right now, an application would be when you step out in faith to witness to someone, mm-hmm. and you start doing the things you're supposed to, submitting to God, Satan is going to attack you on yeah. your journey. 
have. So God's giving you the reassurance that if you step out in faith, he's going to give you the words to say. He's going to protect you. He's going to be there guiding that path along your journey. Yeah. Like, that's, that's really what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's good. That's good because, again, what were we saying? They're on the path to Jerusalem, right? So they are, you could say, they're taking their steps of faith in a literal sense, right? Um, when we step forward in obedience to what God has called us to do, like, like witnessing or something else along those lines, right? We're trusting that God is going to be our protector, our keeper, as we seek to obey him and follow his will. Justin. So it's destination-oriented. He's not yes. going to get off their destination. They will make it there. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of hope as well. Yes. Yeah. You know, not that you're going to stub your toe, not that you're going to even just protect them. You're going to make it your destination. Right. In their case, the worship. In our case, the exactly. Yeah. So it's destination giving. Yeah, it's keeping for a purpose, right? I'm keeping you. I'm protecting you because my goal for you, my child, is to get to where you're seeking to go. Yeah, that's right. Good. Verse five and verse six. If if verses three and four emphasize his attentiveness and his involvement, verses five and six emphasize his consistent and complete protection. Where do I see the completeness? Um, it's it's kind of communicated here, actually. Um, complete protection. In other words, shade is this idea of divine protection that completely covers. Okay? So it's a shade over you. Um, just in case you're, you're curious about what, is, what does this mean that he's going to be shade on your right hand? We did, um, Kurt noticed earlier, right, that he is at our right hand and therefore the shade of our right hand. And uh, oftentimes, right hand is, is, is communicating the idea of what your hand finds to do, right? Your, what you're doing, what you're, what you're involved in. And so uh, whatever he puts his hand to do, God is on the journey is God is protecting and completely covering him in his shade. And so I see this idea of complete protection in verse 5. Pastor, yes, ma'am. Isn't there places in the Bible where God holds us by our right hand? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You will be at my right hand. You will hold me by the right hand. Um, and so the, all of those communicate that sense of closeness and, and involvement. Uh, verse 6 talks about... I think the consistency. How do we see the consistency? By day and by night. Very good. And again, this kind of goes back to the neither slumbering nor sleeping idea. But the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Um, the first line makes sense to us. Uh, the second line... I've never gotten a moon burn. I've gotten a sunburn. Um, what do you think is being communicated here, do you think? Rick? Sometimes the moon doesn't give you as much light as you need. Okay. And you can easily stumble and fall if you're on a woodland trail or even on a paved road. Okay. All right. So sun is too much light. The moon can be not enough light sometimes. Yeah. Is what you're saying? Okay. Anything, any other ideas? Ashley? Yeah, cloud and fire. Yeah. 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 Ye
Yeah, so you see that day and night protection there. That's good. Yeah, Mike. Maybe it's protection from being exposed by the moonlight. If you're camping out at night on a mm -hmm. journey, you want to kind of keep the light down and everything and not yeah. be seen. Yeah, and, and, and I think with, with poetry, um, you don't want to read too much into it, uh, but, I, but I, think, I think the basic idea is what, what you're communicating here is that there's dangers by day, there's dangers by night. God is going to protect you day and night from whatever that may be. And there's unique dangers for both, right? There's certain dangers that come in the day, and there's different dangers that come in the night. But God is consistent in his protection, in his keeping over you. So what kind of God is he? He is alert, he is attentive, he is consistent, his protection is complete. Anything else before we move on? We only have two verses left. See, we might be okay. All right. I'll find, <laughs> Kurt has no faith in me. Uh, I'll find some way to stall here in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, verse seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, that is quite the claim. It's very absolute. Um, haven't we read some other Psalms where it seems like the psalmist is experiencing a lot of evil? Haven't we? We've lived through evil ourselves. Um, how do we harmonize this with the reality seen elsewhere in the Psalms that believers must experience many evils in life? I mean, we have the largest category in the Psalms is lament Psalms. So how do we harmonize this? He will keep you from all evil. Lori. The second half of that verse, he will keep your life. Okay. So Okay, good. Yes? My Bible says preserve. So keep in, in both of those verses. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a picture of saving. Right. So, in other words, the distinction is what we said earlier. What's he asking for? Not being snatched out of, but being protected or preserved in. Right? The idea of all evil, the ultimate evil, would be death. Mm -hmm. So... Which is contrasted with Life. that, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Similarly, Psalm 23 says, I will fear no evil. Hmm. Because. There is, there is evil. Right. But I have no reason to fear it. Right. So, again, it's that picture of protection from yeah. evil. Not you are with me. Not that you won't experience it. Right. But there's no reason to fear it because you have this protection. Yeah, good. Yes. We have to remember the Old Testament. There were idols. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So this evil, they're traveling in a time that people worshipped idols. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean this, this, yeah, we, we all have our own idea, our modern day idea of what is included in this. But they might have had some different things in there that uh, they were fearful of and needed protection from. So one is penalty and one is the destination. <clears throat> what, which one? So one is penalty. It will keep you from all evil or the penalty from all evil. Oh, I see. Yeah. One will keep your life, the destination being secure. One is going to the temple, one is going to heaven. Yeah. Or one is ultimate eternal life. Right. So it's destination. Yeah, so good. 
I see it establishing a boundary. Mm -hmm. God will allow it to go so far, and He says that's as far as you're going to go. Yes, that's that's a good way of putting it. Um, God is because we have to we have to think about how does God work? How does God keep? How does God protect us from all evil? Because it often looks differently than what we want it to look like. All right. So some examples. Think of the story of Joseph. Right? How much evil did he have to go through? A lot of evil. Would it have been easy to conclude, God is not keeping me from all evil? I, it would have been easy for me to conclude that. I got thrown in a pit, God. I got sold into slavery. I got unjustly accused. I got thrown into prison. I got forgotten in prison. Right? All of these things. God, why aren't you keeping me from all of these things? But if you go back and read the story of Joseph, this is what you find. Genesis 39, 1 through 2. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there, and the Lord was with Joseph. He gets unjustly accused, and he gets thrown into prison. Verse 20 through 21 of the same chapter. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and there he was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so it could be very easy to think, God's not keeping me from evil. He's exposing me to all this evil. But when, when you see the whole story, he was preserving him through it all. He was with him through it all. And he had a grand plan in it all. And at the very end of it, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so often we, we, we view protection from evil in a different way that God views protection. That the thing that we can be sure of is that God will be our protector. He will keep your life. The final verse, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. And again, this might be another merism, right? Two opposites combining, combined to create, communicate the idea of completeness. Whatever you do, you might even apply this to the pilgrimage. Your way up and your way back. He's going to keep you. And then, even more comprehensiveness from this time forth and forevermore. In this life and the next, God's going to keep you and protect you. One final thought in this. This is where I'm going to wax eloquent and run out of time. Um, but we've reached the end of the psalm, so it counts. Um, remember, this promise of divine protection was for those who were traveling to Jerusalem to worship. In other words, God offers divine protection as his people seek to follow his path. And here's the point I'm trying to make with this. We cannot presume upon God's divine protection when we're seeking to rebel against him and go our own way. God's protection is found on God's path. Now, this isn't to say that God ignores us when we go our own way. Does God ignore us when we stray? Oh, quite the opposite. His attention is on us. Just as his, his attention and his love is on us. But will he, might, might he deal with you in a slightly different way? Yes, yes he, he just might do that. Can anyone think of an example in Scripture of a person who went a different way and God was watching him but dealt with him in a slightly different way than he would have otherwise. Jonah. Jonah, very good. Jonah tried to run away from God and go his own way. Rather than following the path that God had given him, he, he tried to run away. 
Was God attentive? Oh yeah, he was attentive. Very attentive. He divinely orchestrated difficulty in order to compel Jonah back to himself and his path that he had for him. God makes rebellion difficult for his children. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and it's a good plan, right? He has a good plan, and yet we stray from it. We go, oh no, the good plan's over here, right? I found something better. And, and God is so loving and so kind that he does not allow you to... To, to make that easy. That is not going to be an easy thing for you. Um, here's another fascinating passage. Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Um, in this passage, he uses a very strong language to describe Israel's rebellion against God. He describes it in terms of a relationship. That you are married to me, and then their idolatry, where they go after all these false gods... He basically describes Israel like a prostitute, that you are going after other lovers, you are chasing after these other things. And listen to what he says to Israel, or about Israel, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. For their mother, talking about Israel, has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Which, if you read the whole ch chapter, the whole context you find that God gave them all those things, right? And so God is the one who's being good to them, and yet, what do they do? They attribute that goodness to these other lovers that didn't do anything for them. And therefore, God says, I will hedge up her way with thorns. So she's going down a path. What's God going to do to her path? He is going to enclose that with thorns. I will build a wall against her. I'm going to put walls in her path. I'm going to put thorns in her path. Why? So that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. So God will make rebellion difficult for his children. The thorns and the walls that he places on your path are designed to bring you back to him, to keep you from chasing your lovers, those who are, who are pulling you away from Christ. But as you seek to follow God with your life, rather than rebelling against him, when you see that he has a good plan for your, for your life, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's your protector, he is watching over every step you take, keeping your foot from stumbling. He is awake night and day. He is your shade. He is your keeper. Now, just a final note. How do we know that this promise of God's protection applies to us today, right? He's talking to Old Testament Israelites um, in the Old Covenant. Um, do we have any, any indication that we can take this psalm for us today and say, yes, God is my keeper. God is my protector. I can, I can be sure of that. Anyone think of any verses, New Testament verses, that might communicate this idea? We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of his pasture, yeah. Uh, John, or in John, he talks about my sheep know my voice and they follow me. 
right? I am the good shepherd. Any other passages that you might that might come to mind? I will never leave you nor forsake. I will never leave you nor forsake you, which is an Old Testament passage quoted in the New Testament, right? And what does that communicate? Same God is going to interact with you the same way. Very good. Any others? Um, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 20. How does he conclude? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or I think of Romans 8, 37 through 39. And all these things, which those things are famine, pestilence, danger, danger, peril, sword. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So there is the evil that we experience and yet there's that confidence that, God, I will be kept in Christ's love. I will be kept in him while I go through that journey. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He neither, neither slumbers nor sleeps, and he will guard you from this time forth and forevermore. We can have that confidence with God. Thoughts or questions? Yes. These uh, songs of ascent, are they written chronologically? Is this a progression to Jerusalem? I'm not sure. So he's looking up at the hills far away, and then does it get closer and closer at the end? Of the I haven't. I have not uh, tried to kind of scope that out and see if that's accurate or not. So there's some homework for you. See if there's a, see if you see a progression. I'm not sure. Most my, my my initial answer would be this is a this is a compilation of songs they would sing, and uh, if we see any pattern or progression. Um, it's an interesting observation, but we don't have definitive reason to say definitely it was meant to be a progression. Um, but we do see that theme kind of carried throughout. Kurt. I read a commentary that said it was the temple water. They would sing one on each step going up to the temple. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard that, that, that as well. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's in addition to while they were traveling or, or anything, but they sang it. We know that. Yes. Like in a race where you have a pacer, yeah, <laughs> the pacer keeps keeps telling you to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. This is the way it is, but you got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Or you know, any of you, you know, we're in the military and you're in boot camp, right? You had that drill sergeant that was chanting out the the, the song while you were running. You know, keep you on pace, keep you on track. Good. Any other thoughts or questions, Bob? Israel must not have been on their way to Jerusalem. We don't, you know, we, we just as we, just as we know that that God is in control, you know, we we don't know why or or His ultimate plan behind events that that transpire, right? Um, but we do know that He is uh, He sees it all, and He is He is in control, and He neither slumbers nor sleeps, um, and we know that He has a plan for it. Anything else? Yeah, Jenny. God knows everything about us, and He sees everything. But He also wants us to um, to talk to Him, to call Him, and ask Him for help. Yeah. Because uh, some, you know, like Jeremiah 33 um, says, "Call unto me, and I will answer thee." Mm. And 
That's very true. And you make a very good point. You know, do you ask for his help? Do you cry out to him? Um, when, or do you limit it to verse 1, where you're just looking around and saying, where's my help going to come from? Where's my help going to come from? Instead of that confidence, crying out to God, saying, you are my help. You are there for me, and having that confidence in that. Good. Anything else? So next week is going to be a little bit different, but I think it'll be really, really awesome. Um, first of all, Pastor Paul and I will be out of town. Um, and so, uh, Justin agreed, I asked him if he'd be willing to actually lead the time next Wednesday, and you're all going to walk through Psalm 100, which is a short psalm, but a psalm of praise, a well-known and well-loved psalm, and speaking tonight of interactive singing and responding, it's going to be walking through the psalm and actually uh, opportunities to sing in response as you go through it. So um, I think it'll be a really encouraging, uplifting, and, and, and just awesome time together to not only read scripture, but to respond in praise. And so that'll be next Wednesday. Uh, be praying for Pastor Paul and I. We're, we're going up to a, a conference in, uh, up in Michigan, and uh, I'm also praying for some good contacts and communications uh, for the student ministries pastor position as well while I'm up there. So be praying for that, but uh, thankful for Justin uh, leading that time next week. So that'll be Psalm 100 a week from today. But let's go ahead and pray, and it's two minutes till 8.15, so I made it. All right, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, thank you for being our keeper, our, our protector. Lord, we thank you that even though we are so weak and we grow so faint and so tired, you never slumber, you never fade off, you never lose attention, but you watch every single step of our lives. Lord, we thank you that you're, you're, you're intimately involved with the path that we're on. Lord, I pray that you'd keep us on the right path, that we would be following you, um, that we wouldn't be seeking to go our own way, that we wouldn't be veering off following our own desires and pleasures. Um, but Lord, we thank you that even when we do, like a loving father who chastens his children, you chasten us and you bring us back and you make our rebellion difficult so that we see that you are, you are the only one who is good. You are the only one where our help comes from. Uh, and I pray that we would trust that so that we'd stay on the path rather than learning that from experience of veering off the path. Lord, we thank you that um, you're so faithful to us, that you love us even though we don't deserve it. And we thank you so much for the truths that we learned tonight from your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen.